Now, you guys know that I couldn't let this week go by without talking about murder. Over the course of history, many murders have taken place on Halloween. So, yep, you guessed it. That's what we're talking about today. And murder is in the show's name, after all, so there's that. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Mystery, Murder, and Magic. We're getting closer and closer to the big day, and I hope you're as excited as I am. But now here in my area of South Carolina, they're saying it might rain when the kids go trick-or-treating. So I might just have a ton of candy left over after all this year. Anyway, murder isn't something you usually think about when you think about Halloween unless you're watching a slasher movie. But there's been a bunch of murders that have taken place on that last day of October. And at least one of those murders remains unsolved to this day. Back on Halloween of 1974, an 8-year-old boy named Timothy O'Brien came home from making his neighborhood rounds of filling up his jack-o'-lantern bucket with all kinds of candy. Well, it was his bedtime, but his dad, Ronald, said he could have one more piece of candy before he went to bed, and he gave him a pixie stick. Well, instead of falling asleep, little Timothy nearly instantly started vomiting, and he died and the ambulance on the way to the hospital. The authorities questioned Ronald on multiple occasions, and each time he changed his story a little bit. Well, it didn't take long for the police to start to figure out that Ronald had killed his own little boy by lacing that pixie stick that he had given Timothy with cyanide. What on earth would make a father kill an innocent little kid like that, you know? Well, it seems that Ronald had racked up a considerable amount of debt and he had taken out a life insurance policy on his kids. In fact, to make the whole thing look like an accident, he had given his other child, a daughter named Elizabeth, a tainted candy also, but fortunately she didn't eat it. So I guess he needed to knock off one of his kids to pay those debts. But anyway, that following year, Ronald went on trial and he was found guilty. Then he was um, sentenced to death by lethal injection. He was executed on March 31st, 1984. He lived on death row longer than his little boy Timothy had ever even been alive. And to this day, because of that one isolated incident, parents still check their kids' candy after they trick-or-treat. On Halloween night 2004, three friends named Leslie Mazzara, Adrienne Insagna, and Lauren Minza spent the night handing out candy to trick-or-treaters at their Napa, California home. Around 11 p.m. that night, they decided to call it a night and head to bed. Well, Lauren was soon awoken by screams from the upstairs bedrooms, so she ran out of the house and she drove away. Unfortunately, Leslie and Adrienne, who were both 26, had been stabbed to death. Now, eventually, a friend of one of the women, it was a man named Eric Matthew Koppel, confessed to the murders, but he, to this day, has never given a motive of why he killed him. 
but he's currently serving a life without parole sentence. Now, back in the 1970s, hitchhiking was no big deal. It was a major source of transportation for those who didn't have a vehicle and in those areas, you know, that didn't have public transportation. Well, on Halloween night of 1979, Shirley Ledford was on her way home from a Halloween party when she caught a ride with two men that she didn't know in a van. She had no idea that she'd been picked up by serial killers that had been dubbed the Toolbox Killers. The two men, Lawrence Bittaker and uh, Roy Norris, Norris, were infamous for picking up young women who were hitchhiking, and then they would torture them with tools that were commonly found in a toolbox. Well, sometimes they would even photograph their victims. When they were finished with Shirley, they threw her out in a random yard. Now, Shirley was their fifth and final victim, and when they were caught and put on trial, Bidacre received the death penalty, but he would die from natural causes before he could be executed. Now, Norris had cooperated with the investigation, and he's serving a 45 years to life sentence. In 1992, a Japanese exchange student named Hoshiro Hattori set out for a Halloween party. Now, because the area in New Orleans was new to him, he struggled to find the location of the party. But he thought he had finally found it, so he got out of the car, walked to the door, and knocked. But no one answered the door, so he walked back to his car, and when he gets to his car, the front door of the house opens. Joshiro told the man who had opened the door that he was there for the party, but the man, instead of telling him that he had the wrong house, pulls out a revolver and shoots him. What the hell? When the police questioned the homeowner, the man, um, he he told them that he was scared and thought that Hashiro was pass- trespassing on his property. Well, that man was charged with manslaughter, But he used um, the Castle Doctrine, and the Castle Doctrine is where a person claims they have the legal right to protect their home with lethal force. And get this, the jury found him not guilty. I mean, that's just disgusting. I mean, that was somebody's kid that just had the wrong address. You know, it happens. Even with GPS these days, it happens. I mean, my GPS, like, sends me all over the place before getting to the correct destination but I mean God it's crazy at a Texas convent in 1981 a nun's nude body was found naked now some of the sisters in the convent noticed that a window in the community room was broken so they called the police well during the investigation Authorities found the deceased nun's clothes and a knife under her bed. Now, um, it took a little while, but they did, you know, find out who did it because a neighbor reported seeing another neighbor whose name was Johnny Frank Garrett running from the convent on that Halloween night. Now, the autopsy reports revealed that the nun had been stabbed, strangled, and raped. In 1992, Garrett was sentenced to death. His last words before he was executed was, 
I'd like to thank my family for loving and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. Egging cars and houses is a popular Halloween activity. I mean, doesn't mean that it's right, but I mean, it commonly takes place. Well, normally it doesn't cause a whole lot of damage. It just causes the inconvenience of having to clean up the mess. But in 1998, an egg prank turned deadly. 21-year-old Carl Jackson of the Bronx, New York, and his girlfriend left out to pick up the girlfriend's little kid from daycare. Well, as they drove, a group of teenagers threw eggs at the car. Carl stopped the car and got out to yell at the teenagers, but instead of running off or yelling back, one of the teenagers, named Curtis Sterling, pulled out a gun and he shot Carl in the head. Carl died instantly. Sterling was charged with second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon. He was found guilty and sentenced to 20 years in prison. In 2010, when 16-year-old Devin Griffin returned home from, like, I think he was coming home from church is what I had read earlier, but he was coming home to play some video games, he noticed that his home seemed just a little too quiet. So he decided to check on his family. Well, he found his stepfather in bed covered with blood, so he decided to call 911. When the police arrived, they found two more bodies, and it was the body of Devin's mom and his brother. Police soon figured out that it was Devin's stepbrother, William Lisk, who had committed the heinous acts. Lisk had beat um, Derek's brother or, De- or Derek which is Devin's brother to death with a hammer and he had shot his own dad five times then he raped and shot Devin's mom Susan now to avoid the death penalty William Liss pled guilty to three counts of aggravated murder however in a shocking turn of events he was found dead in his cell from a self-inflicted wound in 2015 and finally we come to our unsolved case on Halloween night of 1981 photographer Ron Seisman and his girlfriend Elizabeth Platzman were beaten and then shot the apartment was ransacked so it was believed that whoever did it may have been looking for drugs but the only thing found to be missing was a 25 caliber handgun registered to Ron. It was also thought that whoever had killed Ron and Elizabeth was someone that Ron knew because there was no signs of forced entry. Well, Later in the investigation, a prison informant told police that the infamous killer, the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, had told him about the murder before it even happened, saying that the murder was going to be carried out by a satanic cult that he was a member of. He also said that Ron had recorded from a distance the last murder that Berkowitz had um, carried out. So by that account, it was thought that the house was ransacked because the intruder or intruders were looking for that film. There was never any proof to back up any of those claims or any of those theories that came from those claims. And to this day, the murders of Ron Sisman and Elizabeth Platts, uh, Plattsman, sorry about that, remain unsolved. Now, you know, murders are bad enough 
as it is. But when a family can't get closure or, um, you know, justice, it's just really bad. I mean, there's just nothing for those families to give them that little bit of at least relief of knowing who, you know, took away their loved one. But these families, they didn't get that. Um, and that's really sad. I mean, I feel for their families. Well, I've gotten my murder episode fixed for this week, so I'm going to cut it off right here. Tomorrow is Friday, and that means that it's what the Friday, so come back tomorrow night for an all-new episode. Y'all have an awesome Thursday.